Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is sponsored by the Women in Revenue. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. I am so glad you're here. Today, we have another male guest, my second to be exact. And if you think about a tennis match, my guest would be on the other side of the net because he helps corporate refugees redefine themselves as entrepreneurs or solopreneurs. Whereas I, on the other side of that tennis net, help women and challenge them to stay at the companies they're in or leave the company altogether for another company. Recognized as an entrepreneur that will change the way you communicate by Inc. Magazine, David has the tools to overcome the challenges and obstacles corporate refugees face when they embark upon their journey. As my second male guest, what drew me to David was not only his background and experience, but he has something called the sniff test, which will go into detail in our conversation, and how he was the E that went into A in STEAM. So he was an engineer that later in life went into arts. Listen for when David talks about entrepreneurs and the one difference between treating their passion like a hobby versus treating it like a business. Women in Revenue lives in a world where every woman has access to a thriving, supportive community of powerful, diverse, and daring members. As a nonprofit organization, they exist to serve women in revenue-generating roles across marketing, customer success, and sales, with goals of workplace equity, inclusion, and career acceleration. Women in Revenue is a transformative organization which elevates, highlights, and encourages future female leaders. Their community strives to remove barriers and power career trajectories forward. Together, they unlock new opportunities for Women in Revenue, generating roles through networking, education, mentorship, and many other benefits. Visit womeninrevenue.org for more information. David, thank you so much for being here today. You're my second male guest. Oh, what an honor. So I can't wait to dive in about how you help corporate refugees. And you're one yourself. So talk to us about leaving corporate and going solo. Um, so the interesting thing is when, when you're in corporate, and I describe corporate as being an a position where you're an employee. Um, so it could be a large, literally a large corporation, like, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, um, public corporation. It could be a private corporation, um, could be a, a, a smaller business, uh, government nonprofit. So the the entity is not so much the issue. It's the the, the source of income and the 
resulting power dynamic. So when your income comes through employment, there is a power mismatch and the employer um, generally holds the balance of power. And the, um, the fact that you get paid on a consistent recurring basis is very enticing and it makes it very challenging, I think, emotionally challenging to make the leap to um, being self-employed, um, be an entrepreneur, however you want to describe what the, the situation you're in when you're responsible for generating all of your income yourself, as opposed to somebody paying you on, on a consistent basis regular basis. Exactly what you just said is the mere reason why it took me two years to leave my job in corporate and start my own business. I was afraid, afraid of the unknown, afraid of leaving a steady paycheck to your point, you know, bonuses, buying stock at a discount, knowing that I had that money coming in, right, was so important. And I thought, oh, how am I going to do that on my own? So it took me a long it, time it, to untether. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's almost like a drug. Right. If, if you if you particularly if you get, you know, um, I'm going to say you get to be a certain age where you have a comfortable lifestyle that is being supported by the paycheck. It's like, well, I don't really want to give up the lifestyle. So I'm willing to put up with and you can fill in the blanks in order to get that paycheck. Do you see men or women struggle more with regards to leaving corporate and going their own route? You know, it's a really good question. Um, the my my answer is actually my, my sniff test is if you have if you're married and have kids, if the kids certain suddenly become sick, who's the one who calls the doctor? Mom. Yes, and you know it's many decades after the um, the women's movement. I would say took the form that that we we think is supporting gender equality today. Um, we have a long way to go to actually achieve parity in in lots of ways between men and women. And I think I think emotionally it's harder for men than for women to leave a paycheck behind. I think there's um and, and so, you know somebody recently said this to me. I have no idea if this is true or not, but that. When a man wakes up in the morning, his first thoughts are likely to be about business and money. And when a woman wakes up in the morning, the first thoughts are likely to be about family. I have no idea if this is true or not, um, but it, it was it's an interesting description. Uh, there might be some truth to that, really. You know, women are seen as the nurturers, right? The household, even in the workplace. They, they show more empathy. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting like in households where, um, you know, if it's a, um, a male and female head of household married and the woman is earning more money than the man, um, it doesn't mean that the roles with regard to family are reversed. And just like you said, who's going to be there when you need to call the doctor when you're sick? It's more likely the woman, like you said, in the, in the male-female relationships of the household. It's it's interesting, right? And it's it's great that we're nurturers, but sometimes that's that's to our detriment, right? Where we 
think about risks and maybe don't want to take them or don't want to take them at this time because things are working well in the puzzle piece, right? Correct. We're surviving. We're not thriving. So you like to smash the plateau. And that's the name of your podcast, which I think is brilliant. But tell us a little bit about smashing the plateau. So I believe that whatever goals you're working toward, there comes a time and place where you reach a plateau and it seems like it's really hard to get past the plateau. Um, so you see it in like what we just talked about. If you're in a work environment where you're getting steady income and you would really like to thrive and you know that there's more to, um, to, to satisfaction and impact through work than you're achieving in your job, but making the pivot to do something differently in, in um, can be very challenging. And, it, and it, there's a lot of resistance to, to get through that plateau. Or if you are in business, you know, we see this all the time, somebody starts a business, they get it to the point where um, there is maybe a small team of, of fractional people, um, but they're no full-time employees and making the jump to, to get that first full-time employee is a big jump. Or, you know, somebody builds a company to the point where they have a team of, let's say, I don't know, five to maybe a dozen employees. And the business owner is supervising all of the employees, but is is the, the chief marketing and salesperson for the company and is kind of running around like a chicken with um, his or her head cut off and there is enough business to be able to grow beyond that, but they can't seem to get much more in um, in sales and fulfillment. It's mm -hmm. like, like there's a certain plateau that they reach there. And why is that, do you think? Well, it, it, um, it, it actually, I mean, the answer involves um, several components. The first one is mindset. So um, like in the last, situation I described where you have, let's say you have, you know, five to a dozen employees. If you think that you are, as the business owner, that you need to have your hand in all the sales or the sales aren't going to happen effectively, then that's a problem, right? Or you feel like you can't let employees make certain decisions on their own that's a problem. So, right. So mindset is, is an issue. The second is relationships. And like, I know when I started my business in 2006, after a long corporate career, I wasn't hanging out with entrepreneurs. And if I wanted to succeed as an entrepreneur, I needed to develop new relationships with people who could support the kinds of goals that I was working toward. Um, so having the right relationships is important. Having relationships that will help you generate business. Um, so not only was I not hanging around with entrepreneurs, but I also wasn't hanging around with people that were likely to generate leads for my business. Right. So I needed to change that. So relationships are really important. Um, you need a um, you need a, a process and a and a structure that actually is going to support business development. And you know, for example, in our work with corporate refugees many of the people that we work with are solo consultants and coaches. And 
one of the big differences between being an employee and being a consultant is at, as a as an employee, if you're um, not responsible for marketing and sales in the company, but you have you know a different role, but you're you're um, either in a management role or or an individual contributor role, you will spend all of your time or the vast majority of your time focused on what you are being paid to deliver. Whereas as a consultant, um, if you're not spending, I'm going to say probably like 30 to 50% of your time on business development and other activities related to your business, your business um, not only isn't likely to grow, but it, it's probably going to stagnate and shrink because you need to constantly be nurturing that pipeline. All right. So business development. Is, and, and the last one is productivity. People get stuck at a plateau because they can't figure out ways to do more than they're doing now with the resources they have. I was going to interject a few minutes ago saying time. I don't hear you saying time, but I That's hear productivity, but I hear time and productivity. I also hear time in, in the business development too. How much time do I spend growing my biz business versus working on the current state? I can't disagree with any of that. So when someone comes to you, and they're thinking about leaving, or they've left, what stage? Are they still with the, the company before they take their leap and they're working with you, or they're working as a solopreneur, like you were saying, or an entrepreneur, and then they come to you? It, it varies, actually. And like we, we have members of our community that are working full-time and trying to build up enough of a business in addition to working full-time with the goal of of leaving employment at some point um and, and the circumstances for leaving the leaving employment can also vary a lot from one person to another um you know some some do it voluntarily many get pushed out um I, and i would say most of the people that um that we work with are are already out that they have left employment so they're right their own business income is is their source of income. And of what you mentioned, what is the one common thread that you see with those individuals you work with? Not sufficiently respecting their own value. Mm. So how do you put a spotlight on their value, David? Um, that's actually where being part of a community can be super helpful. Because when you develop relationships with like-minded people in a environment that is designed to be caring and collaborative, then your friends will call you on it. You need to feel comfortable enough so that you can share some issues related to um, business development and pricing, because this is this is where it really plays out. But if you um, if you're willing to like you, you, you get a lead for something and you're working on a proposal, if you're willing to share with other members of the community, here's this great lead that I got. Here's sort of where I see this going. I'd love to get some feedback on my thoughts about this proposal that I'm working on. And um, if your pricing is too low, your friends will tell you. And it will help you have the confidence to go back in and, and adjust the proposal and also um, in your negotiations with the prospect, you will have enough self-confidence to be able to project um, 
project a great outcome for them without bending on your prices. So safety in numbers. It's not just safety in numbers, it's safety in who the numbers are. So I would say the quality is much more important than the quantity, right? If you if you have a um, this conversation with two or three or four people that you trust, that's way better than posting it sort of anonymously in a in a platform where a thousand people are going to see it and you don't know who's going to see it and comment on it. And, and it, it's an issue because you're also dealing with issues that are confidential. Like you, you don't, you want to share enough so you get good feedback, but you also don't want to, um, you don't want to betray confidentiality of um, what you might be working on with a, you know, potential client. So community comes to mind and the people that you invite in your community, you have to be able to trust. Yes. So you talk a little bit about networking and the BNI network that you're a part of. So tell us how that's, you know, benefited you personally when you left corporate and why did you leave corporate? Um, okay. So th those are actually two, two different questions. I'll answer the part about why I left corporate first and I'll, I'll get to BNI because it plays into it. Um, so in my case, I started my career as a chemical engineer, worked as an engineer, two different jobs for the first four years. And um, a month after my my second performance review and, and my second job where I got a great review and a big raise, my boss called me into his office to tell me I didn't have a job there anymore. And I was totally blindsided by it. Um, the company I worked for lost a lot of business. They ended up firing um, a huge number of people. And I was I was one of them. I decided at that point I wanted to do something that was a little less um, sort of um, of the traditional corporate route. And I ended up going to the nonprofit sector, which is where I spent the next 23 years of my career. Um, but the same sort of um, lack of control over your um, over your career and your income also happens in the nonprofit sector. I saw lots of cases of people being suddenly fired. Um, in, in some cases, it seemed a little capricious to me. I didn't want to be one of those. And um, I'd reached a point in my in my job. I'd been there for a very long time. The last job I was it, it was 18 years when I left. Um, so I, I I had plateaued in my role, and um, I couldn't go any higher because I was in a number two position. I needed um, a PhD in something related to education if I wanted to be the number one that I didn't have those credentials. So there's no way I could have done it. And then the organization hired a new CEO and there and there was an overlap in skill set between the new CEO and me. I knew it was a matter of time before um, there wasn't going to be room for the two of us. It did like didn't make sense. So I, I knew it was a matter of time. So, so yes, I was asked to leave. Um, and, but I had already decided like a while before that, that my next career move was going to be to go independent. Um, I, I just, I waited till I got pushed out because there was a financial incentive. So would I have left had I needed to do it proactively? I don't know. I'll be honest. Um, you know, when you get pushed out, things happen. So anyway, so that was that was the trigger that caused me to make the career move that I did want to make in any case. Um, then about, I'm going to say, 
it was, was even less than a year after I was in my own business, a friend of mine who also had had a long corporate career and then went out on, on her own um, in a totally different field. We were having dinner and she said, you know, David, I'm part of this group. I think you might find it useful. And she invited me to come to a BNI meeting. Um, I'd never heard of BNI. I didn't know about this sort of structured business networking. And I, um, you know, for the benefit of somebody listening who who doesn't know what this is all about, it's a, you know, it's a way of uh, generating word of mouth referrals in a very structured format. So you have, uh, you know, you know, typically like twenty to thirty, maybe forty people in a group, where each person in the group has a um, has a a seat with a pr particular profession. There's no. Con no competition. So there, there aren't two people, let's say, who do mortgages. Um, but there may be two people that do have different roles in the real estate sector. And the whole idea is people that have served the same kinds of clients with different, you, you know, different services are great referral partners. And this whole there's this whole structure set up to sort of nurture word of mouth referrals. Um, anyway, I, I walked into the room and I saw this group of people, um, the chapter that I joined, I think had like 25, 30 people. I saw this group of people that like really had each other's backs and they were very supportive of one another. You know, besides the fact that they were the system for generating referrals, they really had good relationships and they they really tried to help one another with their businesses. That to me was a, what really attracted me. And I, I joined um, and ended up becoming part of the leadership team fairly early on. Um, and it was a good run. I'm not in BNI anymore. I did it for six years. The chapter that I was in started to fizzle and I decided um, not to renew. And I was doing other things at that point. But as a structure, it's, you know, it's really good to be in, in a place with other like minded people where you're all working towards the same kinds of goals. I, I can't disagree more, I should say. Because that power of community is so important and referrals in a lot of organizations that I've even been, even been a part of, referrals sometimes come along versus, you know, if you have that synergy and can make it happen up front, it's fulfilling for both parties involved, right? They're paying it forward. They're probably going to get a referral themselves, if not from that person, but someone else. So it's this engine that keeps fueling, right? And building that confidence that, yes, I can that reassurance that I'm on the right path, that people are interested in my service. Correct. Let's talk a little bit about the state of the world. You mentioned it in your own personal experience, but layoffs and turnover, right? Turnover's happening a lot. There's an average of 13% year over year organizations lose employees, meaning they quit on their own. But then people are forced out to your point laid off and the tech industry, it's their turn to take a big hit right now because of 2020 and 2021, right? Everybody was going digital. How can we be more efficient being remote workers, working from home? And now we have to tighten our belts, right, in the world. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you see any differences when you work with people that were laid off versus, you know, left on their own accord. Depends on on why they have left on their own accord. I I, I can think of um, a friend of mine who had a senior role in a Fortune 50 company and left on his own because it was the stress was impacting his health. He will never go back. Right. He did leave on his own. Um, he had the financial wherewithal to be able to do it and spend some time first doing some self reflection. 
and then really spending um, time and, and investing personal resources in getting his business started. So it can happen. Um, I would say people that get pushed out, if they are really motivated to work for themselves, it's it's like um, it, it's not just the motivation, but the fact that they're pushed, they they're almost compelled to get it to work, right? And they and they don't want to go back. They don't want to have to experience that again. You know, the if you're over the age of fifty in the U.S you have more than a 50% likelihood that you are going to experience involuntary job loss. And, and there are usually financial consequences. Um, and it you may not be able to recover fully from those financial consequences. I believe that there's actually less risk in having your own business because you have more control over things like multiple sources of revenue, different ways, not only multiple sources, but different ways that you can get revenue. So for example, um, if you're a consultant, you can you can have speaking revenue, you can have consulting revenue, you can have coaching revenue, you can do group work, you can do individual work, um, you can create digital products. There, there are a lot of, right? So you can create a business model that, has different elements that will protect you from from downturns you know so for example three years ago when in-person speaking suddenly disappeared if you also had consulting income then yes your speaking income may have taken a huge hit but you still had other sources of income so you didn't go from 100 percent to zero so i think having a a business model that has has some protections built in as well as ways that you can build um build in revenue from different sources it to me is way less risky than having all your income come from a paycheck i work with a business coach and she told me the exact same thing when i started my business you know write a business plan which i did but she said you have to have more spokes on the wheel because they're not all going to be have them tick and tie but they're not all going to be revenue generating right at the same time Maybe they will, but when you first start, you kind of got to start with some, but think about the larger picture of that wheel and the spokes and where could you even get passive revenue streams? Do you work with people to put business plans together? Yes. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think you have to spend a huge amount of time on a plan and I don't think it has to have a tremendous amount of detail because you need to always be planning, but the minute you put ink to paper on a plan, you know, whether it's digital ink or, or real, you know, or uh, real ink, as soon as the ink is dry, the plan is out of date because circumstances change. So you need to, you know, you need to have planning as part of your process. And the, the, like, the main issue is if you need income, you need the financial part of the plan. Like, where's the money going to come from? Um, and as you just said, Gail, is it diverse enough? Um, Will it will it cover the um, eventualities of maybe some of it not working so well? So you need to have you know multiple ways to get money, and then you need to have some kind of sensible set of activities that will generate the money that's in your plan. And you know, you and I, if we were to play a game of tennis, we'd be on opposite opposite ends because you help corporate refugees, and I help people leaving 
the company or staying at the company altogether. So I really do focus on challenging the clients I work with to look at other positions before they jump ship, unless they truly want to, right? And they, they have that, in, like you said earlier, like in their blood, and they've been thinking about it for a while. But just because the role isn't working today, maybe it's the role and not the company. And then maybe it is, right? But we I drill down deep with them to say, okay, let's, before we jump ship, see if there's other roles internally before you kiss that paycheck goodbye you know, if you get stock or bonus, et cetera. And, you know, looking at the attrition rate, a current report came out that only 33% of people plan to stay at their current roles and 52% plan to look for a new job. So if we roll up our sleeves, David, and go back to the path to parity, which I agree in all of STEAM, we have a long way to go. And you and I were talking that you were the E that went into A, right? Engineering into arts. And I was the arts, the A that went into T, tech. So looking at men versus women, in my opinion, men are better risk takers. Now, there was an article that you contributed to, how to jumpstart your entrepreneur confidence as a midlife entrepreneur. And in there, you know, you're talking about more so about generational gaps. But I also found a Forbes article that talked about it's not that women are more risk adverse. They're afraid of the consequences that either happen or are said to them for taking that risk or not taking that risk. And I found that really, really interesting. And it got me thinking, David, should women think more like men? Well, maybe. And I'll tell you why. Because business and life, and, and this speaks to um, people in um, tech and engineering, business and life are iterative processes, right? We, we make a plan, we take a step, we look at the results, learn from the results, adjust our plan, take the next step. So it's not so much about what might happen 10 years from now, or even a year from now, it's what's going to happen as a result of the next step. And the result might come in a month, it might come in a week, it might come in a day. And success is all about doing more of what works and doing less of what doesn't. And a lot of discipline and perseverance. Say that again for the people in the back. Success is about doing more of what works, less of what doesn't work, and a lot of discipline and perseverance. You know, Thomas Edison is credited with inventing the light bulb. Well, they, he probably didn't invent it, but he, I guess he, he brought it to market. Um, and, you know, they say he tried 10,000 that didn't work. So think about what it takes to actually try 10,000 light bulbs that don't work. And how how you actually go through that and then end up marketing light bulbs mm -hmm. at the end it's a great result but boy it must have been really hard to get there grit and perseverance and it's okay if something doesn't work right it's okay and it's okay to say it's okay. no it's okay oh and, and i'm gonna add one other thing this this really speaks to the different mindset between being an employee and being an entrepreneur when you're an employee if you're wrong more than 10% of the time, you're probably going to face consequences. Mm -hmm. If you're an entrepreneur and you're right more than 10% of the time, you're probably doing really well. 
lot of truth to that. Whether you're a man or a woman, right? Right. You just you just you just have to try. It's really important to try. And you can you can take steps that are not so risky, right? In in and of itself, like each step doesn't have to be this huge risk. But it, but you need to push yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone with each step because that's how you grow. Getting comfortable with that uncomfortable, they say. Yes. And it's scary. It's scary. But when it works, it feels good. Or when it works, when it doesn't work, but you try a different approach and that works, that feels really good too. So going back to the men versus women, you did tell me in a prior conversation where women should think more like a man. Women should think more like men, excuse me, when it comes to negotiations. Yes, they should. Um, you, the, as I said earlier, you need to respect your <clears throat> respect your value, own what you're worth, and be prepared to negotiate. Um, you know, I, I encourage people, like for example, if you're a consultant writing a proposal, offer the prospect three options. It's um, it's way easier for a client to say, to, to make a choice of um, one of three out of three yeses versus uh, looking at a yes versus a no. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and don't be afraid to give three options where the most expensive option is something that makes you uncomfortable. And it's called the good, better, best approach. Yes. Yes. And sometimes they will choose best. But if you don't offer it, they're not going to be in a position to accept it. And maybe they choose it and negotiate a little bit on it. You're still yes. doing better, right, as the recipient than if you didn't offer it at all. And if you're an employee going into a salary negotiation, you don't have to accept what the employer initially offers they expect some pushback and keep in mind yes the power dynamic does favor the employer but they need you just like you need them it is actually an exchange of value they're paying you because you can contribute something to the organization so don't be afraid to ask what's the worst thing that will happen they say no this is best and they final say no. but they still want you but they still want you and, and the fact that you've asked, even if they say no, the fact that you ask, now it's on the record. So the next time you're in a salary negotiation, you can remind them, you know, before the next salary negotiation comes up, you can say, look, I know we're about to go into the salary negotiations. Keep in mind that last year we had a discussion and, um, and I was willing to accept what you had offered, even though I know that I'm worth more. But before we start negotiating this time, I'd like you to keep in mind what we discussed the last time. Or even, I like that approach, or even in that final negotiation before you start onboarding, you say, can we reevaluate this in six months, eight months? When I prove what's myself. What's the worst, right, what's the worst that could happen? Right, right. And what would be some more advice? Because, you know, talking about salary negotiation, it's personal, right? It can make people sweat because they don't know their value or they do know their value, but they're afraid to ask. So how could you help someone 
get over that hurdle? Uh, you can role play. It, um, it doesn't hurt to have an employment lawyer on your side. And if you hire an employment lawyer, and this doesn't have to be when you're necessarily when you're leaving a job or negotiating to enter a new job, you could have one who is just um, somebody you check in with, let's say once a year to talk about things like salary negotiation. Um, is, is there wiggle room in the benefit plan? You know, so maybe the company is not in the position to offer more salary, but maybe they could give you some extra vacation time, or maybe they could give you some greater flexibility with regard to working hours. Or now that there's all these hybrid working arrangements, maybe there's some more flexibility with regard to when and where you actually sit when you're doing the work. So look at all the benefits that are on the table, and maybe they're willing to give more of something if they're, aren't, they're not going to budget the moment on salary, for example. I think that's great advice. And I think oftentimes we don't spend enough time looking at that, the whole package, and perhaps what else could we ask for? Like you said, okay, right. if you can't negotiate on salary, maybe I can work from home two days a week and you know five extra vacation days. Yeah, five extra vacation days is worth a lot of money. Now taking it, that's a whole nother podcast, right? Taking your PTO. Because we do need to, a break and reprieve and we can have a whole nother conversation on that. So David, as we wrap today, you talk about competence. And competence is one of the pillars in my five-step methodology to calculated risk-taking. So how do you value competence when you look at entrepreneurs and solopreneurs? You mean in terms of evaluating confidence or? Yes. like instilling... Or in terms of how important confidence is to being an entrepreneur? How important? The latter. Yes. Okay. Um, I think confidence is everything. So you see, if there aren't any sales, there's no business, right? People, that, if you're not selling, then you have a hobby rather than the business. And when you when you look at people that are really good at sales, they're generally very confident. Um, so I think for um, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, I think confidence is probably the most important trait. And if someone's lacking confidence, how do you give them a dose of it? Community where you are making yourself vulnerable in some way, shape, or form on a regular basis. Re reveal something where you're challenged, get some feedback, work through it, and then talk about your wins. You know, so, you know, we, we just spent a lot of time talking about issues around negotiation. So whatever issue you may have where you're negotiating something, share a little bit about what you're negotiating. Um, and I've seen this, I've seen this with our members when they, when they share um, what they're planning to offer. Um, I have seen other members say to them, I think you're pricing too low. You, 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 you could, you know, you, you could raise that or um, instead of pricing you know, it seems like a big project. Instead of pricing this as a project fee of of X, why not price it as a as a recurring revenue proposal, where you're going to be billing every month at Y, 
And then you don't have to renegotiate the project once you finish with this one to do the next one. You're already in there. Um, and I've seen people that over time, now this is not necessarily something that um, where there's a, a quick impact. It's like incremental impact. But I've seen people go from struggling to pay their bills to putting money away because of that kind of support in their confidence so that they um, they present themselves in a much uh, much stronger light with with prospects and with clients. And if they're in their trusted circle, right in that community sharing, the more authentic they'll be and the more authentic feedback they'll get. So I also heard mindset. One of your four or five, you know, reasons that we talked about in the beginning, your sniff test. Yes. Yeah, my, mindset and confidence are very intertwined. Mm -hmm. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and best to you. Thank you, Gail. A special thank you to David for being a guest today. A shout out to New Voice Studios for recording this podcast episode and a shout out to you, my valued listeners. The three key takeaways from my conversation with David today are one, his sniff test. When he works with entrepreneurs, he challenges them to have the right mindset, to be in the right relationships, surrounding yourself with like-minded people, having the right process and structure when it comes to having your business plan and executing on it, specifically when it comes to business development, and lastly, profitability. Number two, he says, respect your own value. And he said that that's the number one challenge when the corporate refugees come to him is that they don't respect their value. And we got into a nice conversation around negotiation and knowing your worth. And I think that that's a really, really, really good key takeaway. And so I encourage you, if you miss that, to go back and re-listen to it because you need to know your worth. And lastly, a bad thing can actually turn out to be something spectacular. You might not know it today or tomorrow. It might come years later. But out of something bad, we all have to look for the good. So if something bad happens to you, how will you find the good and incorporate the good into your career journey? I encourage you to follow me at gailkeller.org. I also recommend you read my book, Full Steam Ahead, Triumphant Tales for Working Women to Overcome Adversity, Fear, and Self-Doubt, now available on Amazon, where I have a five-pillar methodology that five diverse characters in STEAM, the A stands for arts, talk about challenges and come up with solutions. And one of the five pillars is confidence that David and I talk about during this episode. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.